Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles today, turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. And let me preface this by saying I'm going to speak very, very directly to every man in this room, whether you are a father or not. You may be a son. You may not be married yet. But here's what I know. You are called to be a father. You are called to be a father. And the spirit of the father is on you. And that is something that you can grow into even at a very young age. You can grow as, as sons. We are growing before the Lord and the spirit of the father can rest on us and it can grow in and it can grow upon us. And this is also a word for Moms, it's a word for females, it's a word for daughters. Functionally, everything I'm going to share today is a word that is for every single one of us. These are things that you can walk in. These are things you should walk in. But specifically, this is a non-negotiable for dads. What I'm going to talk with you about today, it's a, it's, it's a non-negotiable. And so I, I want to really call you to attention today on some things that I believe are very, very critical as fathers, natural fathers and spiritual fathers and fathers to the earth, these are, these are principles and tools that are going to elevate our effectiveness as fathers. Before I go into 1 Thessalonians, let me preface this by reading out of Malachi chapter 4. Beginning in verse 5, it says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Other translations speak to this, and it's referencing the spirit, the spirit of Elijah. Verse 6, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will restore the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and smite the land with a curse. This is a very closing verse in the Old Testament. 400 years of prophetic silence take place before John the Baptist ever comes on the scene. And the last words recorded in the Old Testament at that time were very simply, if the spirit of Elijah, which is the spirit of generational legacy, it's the spirit of generational understanding, it's the spirit of a father to the next generation, un unless that spirit comes and awakens the hearts of fathers to children, to the next generation, unless the spirit of Elijah gives us such an understanding that the things that we do now will carry on and echo throughout multiple generations, hundreds of years down the line, he says, there will be a curse that's put on your land. And, and watch this. It begins not with sons pursuing fathers. It begins with the hearts of fathers turning. It begins not on a mental level. It begins not even on a behavioral level. It begins on the hearts of fathers turning, turning to sons and daughters, turning to the generation, turning to the culture. And so with that in mind, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll, we'll get some very, very specific instruction here from the Apostle Paul as he writes the believers, the church of Thessalonica. I'm reading out the New American Standard right here. It says, you are witnesses, starting in verse 10 of chapter 2. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we have behaved towards you, believers. Verse 11, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would to his own children. I'm going to read that one more time. He says, just as you know how we were exhorting, number one, how we were encouraging, number two, and how we were imploring, number three, each one of you as a father 
would do with his own children. What's the purpose of all those things? Verse 12, so that you may walk in a manner that is worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let me read this out of a couple other translations. The NIV says, encouraging, comforting, and urging. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. The New Living says, we pleaded with you. We pleaded with you. We encouraged you, and we urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. Very simply this morning, I want to take these three words, and I want to unpack each of those. I want to look at their definitions. I want to look at how they're used in other places throughout the Scripture. And then I want to look at how they apply to our lives as fathers and mothers in the Lord. The first word we, he, we see here is the word exhort. Paul says, you know that we were constantly exhorting you, exhorting you. We hear this word often in terms of elders or pastors or friends or leaders who get up. And many times you may hear this where somebody says, I'm going to exhort you today. Sidron came up earlier this morning and he exhorted us. He didn't just give a sweet thought. He didn't just give a half-baked, cute, devotional. He exhorted us. Well, what is that word exhort? The word here in the Greek is a word that may be familiar to some of you. It's a word called parakaleo. Parakaleo. The word para means near or beside, and the word kaleo means to call. This is actually the word that defines and describes the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's name in the Greek is the paraclete. It means the one who is called beside. When Jesus says, I have to go up to heaven, but don't fear because I'm going to send you another comforter. I'm going to send you another counselor. I'm going to send you another teacher. He essentially was saying, I cannot be with you physically, but don't fear because I'm going to call the paraclete. I'm going to call the one. I'm going to send the one who is called to be right by your side in every situation of life. If you need direction, the paraclete will give you direction. If you need counsel, the paraclete, the one called beside you, is there with you for every situation, and he will help you. Essentially, what Paul is saying is what fathers do, fathers function in a paraclete ministry. We function in a ministry where we come near to sons and daughters. It's essentially what he's saying. He was like, listen, Church of Thessalonica, and he could have said that to Timothy. He could have said it to Silas. He could have said it to the Church of Corinth. He was a father. He carried the spirit of a father to all the churches that he planted, and he was saying, I'm not trying to father you from a distance. I'm going to be near to you. I'm going to be close. I'm going to develop relationship. I'm going to get into your heart, and I'm going to exhort you. I'm going to para." Kaleo, you in the things of God. Let's keep looking at this word. The word parakaleo means to call to one side, and it means to address or speak to, which may be done in the way of exhortation or comfort or instruction. It's a really, really fascinating word. There's a lot of ways that it's used in the New Testament. It's also used to refer to entreating or even appealing to someone. If you guys remember the story where uh, we find in the book of Matthew chapter 8, there was a man who uh, had a soldier. He was, he was a, a centurion, and his soldier was sick. And the scripture here in Matthew chapter 8 verse 5 says, this centurion came to Jesus and he paracaleoed Jesus. He entreated him. He appealed to him. He came near to make a specific request. That's what he was doing. That's the word paracaleo. 
He came near to entreat to some even translations use the word beg. That's how powerful that word is. Many times, if you think about in the spirit, and some of you dads and moms can relate to this, many times maybe you've sat across the table with a friend, a coworker, or your own child, and you found yourself exhorting them. You found yourself really trying to reason with some of the decisions that they were making. You found yourself trying to speak to the formation of what was going on in their lives. You were actually functioning in a parakaleo ministry. You may not have looked at that as saying, I'm begging my child to think about this differently. Some of you may actually say, no, there were times where I was actually begging my child, please consider what you're doing. You are being an idiot right now. I beg of you, think about this. Think about this. Yeah, I've got some amens from the dads. Thank you. That's, how, that's, that's, the, that's the strength of this word, that fathers do that. Fathers don't just let their kids do whatever they want. They, they, they come near and they exhort. They say, listen, I am, I am begging you to think about what you're doing right now. That's what Paul said he was doing. This word is also used in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, that says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, true exhortation is not only, it's, it, it has a comforting dimension to it. And we're gonna get into that in this word, encourage, but the concept here to exhort our children, to exhort our people, the people that God has put around us, it is a very powerful word. It means to not only comfort them, it also means to instruct them and teach them. Fathers, I cannot overemphasize the weight and the power of the instruction that you give. The weight of the instruction that you give, I think you're not even aware how weighty that is. I ended up last night, my father is in Korea right now, they're on a 13 hour time zone difference and I ended up emailing him and I, and I said, you know, I find myself, dad, in many times and in many situations recalling things that you have spoken to me, whether it be spiritual advice, whether it be just natural advice, whether it just be practical nuggets of wisdom. And I said, I, I, I find myself recalling those things to my attention very, very often. And I just want to encourage you that a lot of the times when I wasn't letting you in on the fact that those things were getting in, they really were getting in. And fathers, I want to encourage you today. Yesterday, when we were with our men, one of the things that the Lord was speaking to us as men is the power of our voice. The power of our voice. You know, I think that culturally, the, the role of a man or the function of a man generationally many, many years ago was what we call the strong and silent type, right? Like that's what a man was, be strong and be silent. And when you need to correct or you need to discipline, that's when your voice needs to be heard. And one of the things that we really felt like the Lord was admonishing us and exhorting us was, no, the weight of our words is so critical to our children, to our environments, to our situations, to our spouses, we carry, our words carry a weight in the spirit. You know, when God created the earth, he spoke it into existence because his words carried weight. His words carried authority. He didn't just think them. You know, many times as, as dads, we kind of get ourselves off the hook and say, well, you know, if, 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 if something's wrong, I'll let you know. And it's not, it's not that our voices need to be heard just when something's wrong just when we need to correct, just when we need to discipline, just when we need to give constructive criticism and feedback. No, our words are actually framing and constructing the world that our children and our spouses live in. 
We are, constru- we are engineering a world for them. In the same way that God created the world, we are engineering a world for our children. And God then entrusted this same power to mankind. The very first assignment that he gave to man was to take all these animals and to name them, to speak identity and to speak function over them. That, that is a part of the divine DNA that he has put inside of us, the ability to name things with the power of our words. Husbands, you name your wives, whether you, whether you like that or not, you do. And if, you're, if you continually speak to the negative things that you're seeing, you're, you're naming her. You're, you're identifying her. You are constructing the world which she lives in when you continually say you always and you never and you always and you never and why can't you just, you're actually constructing her world. And we do that for our children as well. It is a part of the privilege of being created in the image of God. No other creature on the planet can shape someone else's wor- worlds with the power of their words. That is an exclusive gift that God has given to humanity. And my encouragement and my exhortation to you today is to think about engineering the worlds of the people that are around you. Think about that. Be meticulous, be methodical, be thoughtful, be deliberate, be intentional. Exercise foresight in the worlds of the people that you are forming. There are many of you here who carry apostolic anointings and callings. And there will be many young leaders that look to you for fatherly advice and motherly advice. And you have the privilege to shape the future of their ministry. You have the authority to shape their future with your exhortation. A couple of thoughts here. As I, as I looked at a little bit deeper application here of the definition of the word exhort, take a listen to this. The word exhort means to embolden. You know, fathers, when you exhort your children or you exhort your spouse, when you exhort the leaders who work in your companies, you're emboldening them. We're living in a generation now, and it will become increasingly more so unless there's a radical change in our culture but we're living in a generation now, as, as it was in the days of Daniel, where our children will, by mere virtue, by mere virtue of the fact that they're hearing the messages we're preaching and they're identifying themselves as followers of Christ, they, they could be very, very, very much ostracized and even persecuted in ways that we have never experienced in this land. And the voice of a father emboldens them to make that stand. It emboldens them. It puts courage inside of their spirit to say, I can and I will make decisions that follow biblical convictions regardless of the price that I have to pay. That's what a father does. That's what a father does. We find it interesting that in Matthew chapter three, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter three, verse 17, we find something very interesting. Before Jesus ever begins his earthly ministry, the father speaks to him. There's two moments in all of the gospels when God the Father speaks to his son. The first is before he embarks on his quote-unquote professional ministry. He's being baptized by John. He comes up out of the water. The scripture says the heavens split open and the voice of God, his father, speaks to his son and he says three things. You're my son, I love you, and I'm so pleased with you. He says the exact same three things right before Jesus is about to be crucified when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration. Coincidence? I don't think so. Jesus as a son needed to hear the voice of his father emboldening him for the task that was before him. 
He was about to lay down his life and experience one of the most horrific forms of torture that a man could ever walk through. And the voice of a father was emboldening him, son, you're my son. I love you. I know that you're going to question that when you're on this cross. You're going to wonder. You're going to debate all these these horrific things that the enemy is going to come in. He's going to try to get you to question my goodness, my faithfulness. But son, I love you, and I'm so pleased with you. And that was, I believe, those words were resonating in the spirit man of Jesus, strengthening and emboldening him for the task that was at hand. Second thing that fathers do, as we find here in this passage in 1 Thessalonians is we encourage. Now this is, this is something that I think as dads that we all really need to be very, very conscious of. I think, it, I think there's something that needs to be redeemed. It's a good thing it needs to be redeemed that, that fathers have the ability to see where sons and daughters, situations, spouses, you name it. I think that we have an innate ability to see where things are wrong. I think we do. I think it's a gift Now, the problem is, is that when we leverage that gift to simply criticize or give what we like to call constructive criticism or feedback, or maybe even start nagging or then turn that into complaining, we're not not leveraging that redemptive gift. God has revealed certain things about our children or about our spouse or about situations or our coworkers, not so that we'll speak to those things in our flesh and our soul. He's revealed those things to us so that we can engage heaven and so that we can use the authority that God has given to us to speak God's word into those situations. The problem is, is when we just speak our words, God, God, Scripture says in Isaiah 55 that God is actually watching over his word to perform it. He's not watching over our words to perform them. He's not watching over, you just need to get it right. He's not watching over that. But he is watching over, son, you can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. Son, I believe in you. Son, you're more than a conqueror. He's watching over that, and God is faithful to perform that which he promised. The word encourage here is an interesting word. It means to address one by way of admonition to console them and calm them. It's only mentioned four times in the New Testament. Twice we find this word encourage is used when Lazarus, in the book of John, when Lazarus was dead and Mary and Martha, his brothers, were grieving over the loss of their brother. It says here in John chapter 11, many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them or to encourage them. It is a tender word. It is a word that represents when our children or our spouses or our friends are going through a difficult time, this is the time to come in and console them. It's a time to be tender. It's a time to be sensitive. It's a time to be gracious with them. You know, Jonathan um, Swindle, you know, when, uh, when everything shook down with Jonathan and Bonnie last Thursday, Bonnie's family lives very close to Tulsa, and so she had her mom, her dad, her sister, her brother-in-law, many friends, and, many friends and family were there on the scene very quickly. But because Jonathan works at ORU and it's summer, many of the support base in terms of friends and young student leaders he's raised up and poured his life into, they're all away on summer vacation, and he was there alone. And uh, I found myself walking into the Ronald McDonald House on Monday morning and seeing Jonathan and after 48 hours of just encouraging him, 
consoling him, just looking, putting strength inside of him. By Tuesday night, man, his spirits were strong. And then after another bout of bad news and bad news and bad news, he ended up calling me on Friday. We talked for about an hour, and he was asking some very, very real, raw, and honest questions, questions that any of us would ask ourselves as it relates to our children being on death's door. And there was a very, I believe, a very significant moment in our conversation when the spirit of encouragement came into that conversation. And at the end of that conversation, here's what he says. He says, I'm ready to fight again. I think we know whether or not our children and our spouses have been encouraged when they walk away and they say, I'm ready to fight again. I'm ready to risk again. I'm ready to get in the game again. I'm ready to try again. And let me just say this to fathers, and actually I'm really speaking this to myself. Our spouses and our children, for the most part, they know where they're weak. They know when they failed. They know when they're making mistakes, for the most part. They know that. What they need is not so much in the midst of their failure or poor decision for us to come and to reinforce the guilt and shame that they're already walking through. What they need is the voice of a father and mother to pull them up out of that and say, listen, son, you may have made a mistake. You may be going through a difficult time. I believe in you. You can do this. You can do this. I find that my son Kenya is way more emboldened when he hears you can do this than why can't you do this? And again, I'm telling you guys, this is something God's working out of me as a father, and I'm sure he's working that out of all of us as a father, but this is one of the primary functions of a father. Fathers encourage. Fathers put strength into the spirit and into the mind of the people that are around them. You know, some of you who are business owners and business leaders, you are called to put courage. You are called to put strength Maybe you have someone who's trying to work out a skill or work out a craft and they just can't quite get it right. Listen, you're a father in your business. I want to commission and charge you today that that we begin looking at what it means to be a father outside of just the realm of biological children. You are a father to your neighborhood. You are a father to your school. You're a father in this house. I need your encouragement to be strong in this house. Third thing that we find here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, fathers exhort, fathers encourage, and this is a very interesting word, fathers implore. Fathers implore. It's not quite a word that we use very much in our language today. The word here is martyromai. The base word of this word is the word martyr. What does this mean? The word martyromai means to bring forward as a witness. It means to announce something as truth. It means to testify. I began chewing on this quite a bit because I couldn't quite get my mind around this. Lord, how do I implore? Other translations use the word urge. But I like the concept here of fathers testify. The book of Deuteronomy Let me just read this here to you. You can turn there with me if you want. Deuteronomy chapter six. You know, fathers and mothers in the nation of Israel 
as Israel was transitioning out of wilderness and slavery and they were about to move into promise, they were actually commissioned by God to testify to their children. Dads, this is something that is so simple, it's so powerful. Testify to your children. Testify to them. Take an account of the faithfulness of God in your life and tell your children those stories. Take an account of the faithfulness of God to you today and testify. When you sit down with your children over a meal, testify to your children. Guys, this food is here because God is a faithful God, because God is a good God. I remember one night, I can't even remember what the context of it was, but we, I, think my, I think my kids were reading through the book of Daniel and, and we were really fixated and fascinated on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and at this time, I believe this was probably two years ago, so Milan was five and Kenya was three. And there was just this Holy Ghost moment at the table that came in and, I, and with tears in my eyes, you know what I was doing? I was testifying to my kids. I said, guys, listen, I want you to know something. I want you to know that God is always good. Oh, yes, daddy. He's always good. Okay, Daddy. No, no, guys, I want you to know, you got you to get this. No matter what happens, guys, no matter what bad things happen, he is always good, and he is always faithful. And you guys, I want you to know something. There may come a day where because of who Daddy is and because of the stands that Daddy takes, Daddy may go to jail because, of, because Daddy is a follower of Jesus. But I want you to know something. Even if Daddy goes to jail, you never turn your back on God. There may come, I mean, and I just, and I'm weeping, and there's just this revelation of persecution and this revelation of martyrdom, which is where this word comes from. That's what it means, implore with a conviction. It means to testify with a conviction. This is true. This is real. This is real. This life that we live, it is not a game. This life that we live, it is not, it is not some commercial, comfortable self. No, 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 guys, this is real. We, daddy is staking his life on this. And I want you to know, and I told him this, I said, guys, listen, even if daddy turns away from Jesus, you never turn away from Jesus. I was testifying, attest, affirm to this fact. Implore your children what the truth is. Burn it into them. Speak with conviction to your children about what is right and what is wrong. Daddy will never stop fighting for truth in your life. This is real. They need to see that. They need to feel that. They need to hear that from fathers. Fathers do that in children. Fathers brand a conviction of what is right and wrong in the soul of the people that are around them. Listen to what Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, beginning in verse 1. Now this is the commandment. The statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess so that you and your son and your grandson. and amazing? So that you and your son and your grandson. So that you and your children and your grandchildren. The things that we're talking about now are generational in nature and in scope. He says, which I command you all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you and that you multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I am testifying, which I am imploring you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them. You shall testify. 
you shall attest to them. You shall give witness to them. That's what a martyr does. The word martyr simply seems, means I'm a witness. I am a witness to the re- death and the resurrection of Jesus, and I am willing to lay it all on the line because this, I believe, is true. That's where the word martyr comes from. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Talk about the activity of God. Son, did I ever tell you that story? Son, did I ever tell you that moment? Son, did I ever tell you? And then find the stories of missionaries. Find the stories of friends. Create a culture around your house where you're bringing people in who are testifying to your children. It is just as essential as anything else we do as parents. Creating a culture of testimony. Listen, I'm here to tell you that no matter what happens with Oliver Swindle, no matter what happens, God is good. No matter what happens, and God will receive glory, no matter what happens, and he is faithful, and he is able, and he is perfect in all of his ways, even if I don't understand it, and I will go to my grave testifying to this fact, son, he's good, and he's faithful, and he can be trusted. This is what happens later on in this same chapter. Verse 20, he says, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh, and the Lord brought us out from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh, and his household. And he brought us out from there in order to bring us in to give us the land that he had sworn to our forefathers. You know what he was doing? He was there testifying. That's what he was, God from the beginning was trying to put this, he was trying to activate this spirit in fathers. Fathers, you testify, you attest to the truth, you implore, you urge your children how to live for God. Let me show you what happens when we don't do this at the book of Judges. The book of Judges we find in chapter two, one of the most frightening and one of the saddest scriptures that is recorded in the Bible. It's found in Joshua chapter two, Judges chapter two. We begin in verse six. And for those of you guys who don't have a good breadth of Bible history and knowledge here, let me just share this in 30 seconds. The children of Israel lived in a land of slavery. They were delivered and they walked into the wilderness for 40 years because of disobedience and rebellion. What I just read to you I, it was, was spoken to them on the cusp, on the brink of them breaking out of the wilderness, breaking out of bondage and entering into their promised land. The book of Joshua is a book of the conquest of them receiving their promise, inhabiting their promise. So now... They, they're, they're living in a land flowing with milk and honey. There's abundance. They're possessing territory. All things are good. And then we find here in the book of Judges, chapter two, verse six. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Listen to this, guys. This is why fathers are so important. They served the Lord while that father was alive. And they served the Lord all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. So the other fathers in the community that Joshua had raised up. In other words, as long as those fathers were there, the people were serving the Lord. And it says this, 
These were the fathers who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Verse eight, then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord died at the age of 110 and they buried him in the territory of his inheritance. Verse 10, and all of that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. You mean to tell me that you forgot to mention how God parted a Red Sea and caused water to come out of a rock and quail to come from the sky? You mean you forgot to tell me how uh, by walking around a fortified city for six days doing nothing but blowing trumpets that he, you mean you forgot to tell those stories to your children? You forgot to tell them about the 10 plagues and about Passover and about the significance of the blood. And watch what happens in verse 11. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and they forsook the Lord their God. In one generation, in one generation, there was a generation of fathers that failed to testify. It's not enough that we have revelation. Joshua had revelation of the goodness of God. Joshua saw the stories with his own eyes. The people that were around Joshua, the council of elders that were around him, strong men, faithful men, praise God for them, but they failed to testify to their children. Consequently, they rose, they forsook the Lord, they did evil in the eyes of God who brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and they bowed themselves down to them. Thus, they provoked the Lord to anger. And what we find in the book of Joshua is a cycle of sin and judgment and temporary repentance. And I would say the root of that cycle that lasted generations, that affected nations. You read through the book of Judges, some of the most grotesque, heinous acts of sinful, evil humanity are recorded in the book of Judges. And my submission to you is, it could have been solved by fathers who implored their children of the testimonies of God. This is serious business. Men, tell your children the stories. Engage them in heartfelt dialogue. Tell them why Hudson Taylor decided to go to China. Tell them why William Carey decided to start again after his language printing press burned down to the ground. Tell them why Jim Elliott died on a beachhead bringing the gospel to a bunch of people that didn't. Tell them why people decided to keep following God. Go, go get the Voice of the Martyrs magazine and read to them about the affliction of people in Pakistan and Sudan and the Congo and in North Korea. Tell them those stories. Our children need to know why people's limbs are being severed but they're not turning away from God because he's good and he's perfect and he's deserving and he's worth it and this is what it means to testify. We affirm to this truth. It's part of my role in this house. It's why we will not back up and we will not shrink back no matter what the culture does because as a father in this house, I am commissioned by God and I'm gonna be held accountable to testify to you and attest to the truth of who God is no matter what. I ask you guys to stand to your feet with me this morning. And I wanna pray this morning that the spirit of exhortation and the spirit of encouragement and the spirit of testimony be strong in you. I am here today because of the voice of fathers. I am here today because of the voice of fathers 
who in dark moments of my life spoke strength into me. And so today, as a vessel and a servant of the Most High God, I implore you today, church. I implore you today. I testify to you today to follow God. Not half-heartedly, not emotionally, not superficially, not commercially, follow God. I testify and I affirm to you today, follow Him with your whole heart. He is good and He is most worthy of praise and let Him take you wherever it is that He chooses to take you. Let Him challenge you. Let Him convict you. Let Him provoke you. Let Him awaken you. Let Him cut things in you and off of you. Church, today I testify that He is worth following. I encourage you today in your journey. I encourage you in your sonship. I encourage you wherever it is that you are in your faith. I encourage you to press into the Lord, to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I pray hope fill your hearts today. And I pray specifically today for the men of this house. And I break shame and condemnation off of you and every accusation that the enemy would try to put on you that you have failed and that you are not a good father. I break that off of you today in the name of Jesus. I'm gonna ask one of the fathers of our house to bless you today. Apostle Bill, would you come up here and would you just slap a blessing on to the men of this house with some just hot sauce on that thing. It's one of the fathers of my life and one of the fathers of this house. I honor you. Wow. You know, uh, today is the 20-year anniversary of the Brownsville Revival, and I was very tempted to go there this weekend, and uh, we're, we're getting ready to do a lot of travel, so I just uh, I couldn't fit it in the schedule. But God's up to something, and I really believe that, and, and a lot of it's with sons and fathers, and, and you're a good son, and I love you dearly, love this church, love each of you, and, and I do. I bless you. I bless you with a heart after God. I bless you with revival in your life. I bless you with a a, a spirit of revival in your marriage, in your home, in your children, in everything you apply yourself to, everything you touch. Lord, let it be called blessed. I bless the men, the women, and the children, but especially the fathers in this house. I bless you in the name of Jesus. And and I want you to leave here today full of the Holy Spirit, full of a fresh touch, a fresh anointing, and a fresh fire for the things of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That scripture you just shared in Judges, in my Bible, it's written, uh, I wrote it, Revival Cycle. It's a cycle, and and, and that's where we're at right now. And it's time to, to, to rise up again. Amen. God bless you. All right. Well, dads, have a great day. Have a great week. You're needed. You're vital. And we bless you and honor you. Antioch, go walk in victory today in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.